Welcome to another episode of The Chef Educator, the show that provides and discusses various teaching tools, tips, and techniques for the culinary, hospitality, and pastry arts educator. And now, coming to you through the airways from Palm Beach County, Florida, here is your host, doctor, professor, and chef, Mr. Colin Rowe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chef Educator Podcast. My name is Dr. Colin Roach, and I'm your host. Today's episode, we're going to get into a little bit something different, because we've been talking about how the brain works and how it applies to our teaching classrooms and our students. So now I'm going to take that kind of to the next level, and in the next few episodes, I'm going to first talk about some study strategies that you can use to help your students boost their learning based on what we've already talked about and some techniques that you can use in your classrooms. And then in a future episode, I'm going to use that information to help us, you, me, become better teachers. So before we get into today's topic, I want to first give a little background information on the podcast including the intended audience and why I started it. And that's because we always have new listeners that are, you know, just joining us now and may be their first episode. So I want to give a little background on the show. Well, the Chef Educator podcast was created as a comprehensive resource for new and seasoned. So it's not just for the new teachers, it's for veterans because we can always learn. We have lifelong learning. And that's faculty members, instructors, teachers in culinary, in hospitality, in pastry arts, and in both the secondary and post-secondary education. The show will address the many issues related to student learning and instructor effectiveness, starting with episodes that you've seen in our catalog, you know, from designing a syllabus, your first day, lesson plan development as well as how to create a successful lecture, assessments, uh, active learning techniques, student engagement. And as you can see, the hope here is to offer a collection of practical and effective teaching tools, tips, and techniques that can be used in the classroom and the lab class. So, okay, with that said, let's jump right into today's topic. So, as mentioned, I want to talk about study skills that can help boost learning. And in this one, I want to talk specifically about practice testing. And then in the next episode, I'm hoping to talk about distributed practice because that's very important and it ties into this neuroscience that we've been talking about and how the brain works and how the brain learns. And then I'm going to talk about practice that we can do in probably two or three episodes as teachers to become better educators. Okay, so let's start right out with kind of a story that I bet is familiar to everybody that's listening. So picture this in your mind. It's the night before a student, we'll we'll say it's her, her nutrition exam, and the student has just begun to study. She takes out her highlighter. She reads her textbook, marking it up as she goes along. She rereads sentences that seem the most important to her, and she stays up most of the night just hoping to get a good enough grasp of the material to do well on the next day's exam. Now, these are study strategies that she may have learned from her friends or her teachers, or that maybe she just took up on her own, you know, through trial and error. Well, she is not unusual in this regard. Many students rely on strategies such as highlighting, rereading, and cramming the night before an exam. 
quite often, students believe these relatively ineffective strategies are actually the most effective. And at least on the surface, they do seem sound, perhaps because even after pulling an all-nighter, students often manage to squeak by on exams. Well, unfortunately, in recent review of the research, I found that these strategies are not that effective, especially if students want to retain their learning and understanding of the content well after the exam is over. And obviously, that's an important educational goal for us. And this is why we'd see students that maybe get an A in one class and then they go to the next class and it seems like they forgot it all. Well, they did, right? They had it in their memory just long enough to do well on an exam, but then it's gone. It doesn't go into the long-term memory. They didn't work with it. Now, there was a recent study I, I read. It said that 84% of the students studied by rereading their notes or textbooks. It's crazy. You can ask your students, how do they study? Find out. I bet it's probably right in there. But despite its popularity, rereading has inconsistent effects on student learning. You know, whereas students typically benefit from rereading when they must later recall texts from memory, rereading does not always enhance student understanding of what they read, and any benefit of rereading over just a single reading may not be long lasting. So, rereading may be relatively easy for students to do, but they should be encouraged to use other strategies, which is what we're going to talk about in this episode, practice testing, and then in the next episode, distributed practice. This will be much better when they go revisit their texts and their notes to help them retain the knowledge and do better on their quizzes. Now, the use of highlighters seems universal. I mean, I have one right here on my desk in front of me, and I use it a lot of times when I'm reading articles and stuff to highlight something so I can go back and find that passage, that specific sentence or that figure that I'm looking for. But as compared with simply reading a text, however, highlighting has been shown to have failed to help students of all sorts. We've done these studies on, you know, undergraduate students, children. They even did a big study at the Air Force Academy trainees. One study reported that students who highlighted while reading performed worse on tests of comprehension, wherein they needed to make inferences that required connecting different ideas across the text. In this case, by focusing on individual concepts while highlighting, the students may have spent less time thinking about connections across concepts. But even with that said, I wouldn't go into class tomorrow, next day, next week, and take away highlighters from students. There are their security blanket for reading and for studying, and it can be done. But, you know, hopefully they're not highlighting every sentence and every page and every book because then it does nothing. Nothing is highlighted. But you can tell your students and let them know that highlighting is only the beginning of the journey and that after they read and they highlight they should then restudy the material using more effective strategies, which is examples of what we're going to be talking about very shortly here about practice testing. And in our next episode, you know, we'll talk about distributed practice. But before I get into it, let me find out why don't students already know that? Why as teachers, as instructors, as faculty, are we not teaching our students this? I mean, why aren't they learning these best strategies? 
Well, I can only speculate, but one reason I believe is because our curricula is developed to highlight the content that teachers should teach. So the focus is on providing content and not on training students how to effectively acquire it. In other words, the emphasis is on what students need to learn, whereas little emphasis, if any, is placed on training students how they should go about learning the content and what skills will promote efficient studying to support that, you know, that robust learning that they need. Nevertheless, in, in my view, teaching students how to learn is as important as teaching them content because acquiring both the right learning strategies and background knowledge is important, if not essential, for promoting lifelong learning. They need these skills as they continue on their academic journey and in life. So let's talk about one of those right now, which is practice testing. And I think this is important because it can enhance learning and comprehension of a large range of materials. It can help students regardless of their age. And most important, it can boost student achievement. Okay, I want to take a quick pause here at this halfway point in the show to tell you about what I think is a great resource for the culinary or hospitality teacher. And that is a book titled Culinary Educators Teaching Tools and Tips that's published by Kendall Hunt. I co-wrote this comprehensive resource specifically for the new and the seasoned educator. And it's written in an easy to understand style with numerous charts, templates, and examples throughout. And you can get it in both electronic and in hard copies for around $40. Well, if you're interested, you can get more information on this book as well as purchase a copy through publishers Kendall Hunt's website at www.kendallhunt.com. That's K-E-N-D-A-L-L-H-U-N-T. And of course, I'm going to leave the link to this in the episode's description so you can check that out later if you'd like. And if you do buy it, I'd love to get some feedback on it. Tell me what you think. Okay, now back to the episode. So let's talk about testing. Now, testing has a bad name, first off. I mean, think about it. The word test, exam, and quiz are all four-letter words that provoke anxiety in many students and in some teachers as well. Such anxiety may not be misplaced given the high stakes that we live in today of statewide exams. However, by viewing tests as the end-all assessment administered only after learning is complete, well, teachers, us, and students are missing out on the benefits of one of the most effective strategies I believe out there for improving student learning. More than 100 years of research has revealed that taking practice tests versus merely rereading the material to be learned can substantially boost student learning. For instance, college students who reported using practice tests to study for upcoming exams earned higher grades. And when middle school teachers administered daily practice tests for class content, their students performed better on future tests that tapped the content they had practiced during their daily tests. The use of practice tests can improve student learning in both direct and indirect ways. Now, consider two students who have just read a chapter in a textbook. 
Both students review the most important information in the chapter, but one student reads the information again, whereas the other student hides the answers and attempts to recall the information from memory. Compared with the first student, the second student, by testing him or herself, is boosting their long-term memory. And remember, we talked about short and long-term memory in the past episodes. Thus, unlike simply reading a text, when students correctly retrieve an answer from memory, the correct retrieval can have a direct effect on memory. Practice tests can also have an indirect effect on student learning. When a student fails to retrieve a correct answer during a practice test, that failure signals the that the answer needs to be restudied. In this way, practice tests can help students make better decisions about what needs further practice and what does not. In fact, most students who use practice tests report that they do so to figure out what they know and do not know. Now, based on this prevailing evidence, how might students use practice tests to best harness the power of retrieval practice? Well, first, student learning can benefit from almost any kind of practice test, whether it involves completing a short essay where students need to retrieve content from memory or answering questions in a multiple choice format. Research suggests, however, that students will benefit most from tests that require recall from memory and not from tests that merely ask them to recognize the correct answer. They may need to work a bit harder to recall key material, especially lengthy ones, from memory, but the payoff will be great in the long run. Another benefit of encouraging students to recall key information from memory is that it does not require creating a bank of test questions to serve as practice tests. Second, students should be encouraged to take notes in a manner that will foster practice tests. For instance, as they read a chapter in the textbook, they should be encouraged to make flashcards with the key term on one side and the correct answer on the other. When taking notes in class, teachers should encourage students to leave room on each page or maybe on the back page of the notes for practice tests. In both cases, as the material becomes more complex and thus lengthy, teachers should encourage students to write down their answers when they are testing themselves. For instance, when they're studying concept on the flashcard, they should first write down the answer or definition of the concept they're studying, and then they should compare their written answer with the correct one. And for notes, they can hide key areas or concepts with their hand and then attempt to write them out in the remaining space. And by using this strategy, they can compare their answer with the correct one and easily keep track of their progress. This is building those synopsises, right? It's building that neural network, right? It's forcing those, that information to stick. Now, third, and perhaps most important, students should continue testing themselves with feedback until they correctly recall each concept at least once from memory. For flashcards, if they correctly recall an answer, they can pull that card from the stack, right? They know it. They don't need that one. But if they do not recall it correctly, they should place it back in the back of the stack so they can get to it again. And for notes, they should try to recall all of the important ideas and concepts from memory and then go back through their notes once again and attempt to correctly recall anything they did not get right during their first pass. 
If students persist until they recall each idea or concept correctly, they will enhance their chances of remembering the concepts during the exact, uh, actual exam. They should also be encouraged to get it right on more than one occasion, such as by returning to the deck of cards on another day and relearning the material. You know, maybe while they're on the bus, maybe while they're waiting for class to start, they can have this deck of cards and constantly be practicing it. Using these practice tests now is not going to come naturally to the students. So we as teachers can play an important role in informing them about the power of practice tests and how they apply to the content being taught in class. You know, tell them this is going to help them. It's going to be worth it. Not only can students benefit from using practice tests when studying alone, but teachers, us, can give practice tests in the classroom. Sometimes I don't call them tests, though, because, again, that provokes anxiety. So I might call them exercises or worksheets or something else. But let's face it, they are practice tests. The idea is for us as teachers to choose the most important ideas and then take a couple of minutes at the beginning or end of each class to test students. After all, students answer a question, teachers can provide the correct answer and give feedback. So you can do this like in an oral questioning way, or you could put it on paper. The more closely the practice questions tap the same information that will be tested on the in-class exam, the better students will do. Thus, this in-class testing time should be devoted to the most critical information that will appear on the actual exams. Even using the same questions during practice and during the test is a reasonable strategy because the students don't know it's going to be the exact same question, though I've done that many times. Then they'll say, I remember those. Like, yeah. It not only, this not only ensures that the student will be learning what teachers have decided is most important, but it also affirms to students that they should take the in-class practice quizzes seriously. Because they know they're not trying to trick them. It's not a red herring. I'm not trying to lead them down a different road. What we're doing in the practice test, this is important to do because you're going to see something very similar, if not even the same, on the real exam. Okay, so in conclusion, start by encouraging your students to elaborate on what they are reading, such as by asking why questions, and tell them that highlighting is fine, but it's only the beginning of the learning journey. And you can encourage your students to use practice retrieval when studying instead of passively rereading their books and notes. And also encourage students to develop a study planner so they can distribute their study throughout a class and rely less on cramming. And lastly, give low-stakes quizzes at the beginning of each class, or at least weekly, and focus on the most important material. Consider calling it a review or an exercise to make it less intimidating for the students. And remember, even the best strategies will only be effective if students are motivated to use them correctly. And even then, the strategies will not solve many of the problems that hamper student progress and success. But with these caveats in mind, the age-old adage about teaching people to fish rather than giving them a fish applies here. Teaching students content may help them succeed in any given class, but teaching them how to guide their learning of the content using effective strategies will allow them to successfully learn throughout their lifetime. 
Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of The Chef Educator, and I want to thank you all for listening. And be sure to tune in for next episode when we're going to be talking about distributive practice. And as always, if you have any comments, suggestions, and or ideas, we would love to hear them. Please contact me through my email, which is drprofessorchef at gmail.com. Again, that's drprofessorchef at gmail.com or by phone if you prefer, where you can leave me a message. The number is area code 207-835-1275. Number again, area code 207 207- Eight three five one two seven five. Okay, until we meet again, keep learning, keep teaching, and keep cooking. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.